Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Is this the end of Roe v. Wade? The lead starts right now. Protests outside the U.S. Supreme Court after Politico publishes a draft ruling that would strike down Roe versus Wade and affect the lives of tens of millions of Americans. So what happens if and when abortion rights are actually struck down in the United States? Then, finally free, busloads of Ukrainians arriving on safe ground after months trapped inside the Mariupol steel plant as the Russians are closer than ever to taking over that town. And they continue to shell Lviv in the West. Plus, American journalist Austin Tice, held captive in Syria for almost 10 years now. His parents will join us to tell us what they just told President Biden. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper, and we start today with our politics lead and the seismic health, political, and legal news. A document obtained by Politico and confirmed as authentic by the U.S. Supreme Court reveals that the highest court in the land appears poised to overturn Roe v. Wade nearly 50 years after that case legalized abortion in the United States. In this draft opinion, five conservative justices, Samuel Alito, Clarence Thomas, Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, and Amy Coney Barrett argue in favor of overturning Roe v. Wade's holding of a woman's federal constitutional right to an abortion. The U.S. Supreme Court underlined in a statement today that this document is not a final decision by the court or a final position by any justice. It was circulated amongst the court at the beginning of February. The final decision is expected in June. But Democratic leaders across the country attacked the potential decision today as undermining fundamental rights to individual health care. Look, I feel really angry about this. And what I feel angry about is that an extremist Supreme Court is going to impose their views on the rest of America. Republicans, for their part, seem today focused on the leak itself, since in the modern history of the court, no draft decision has ever been disclosed publicly while a case was still officially pending. Somebody, likely somebody inside the court itself, leaked a confidential internal draft to the press almost certainly in an effort to stir up an inappropriate pressure campaign to sway an outcome. In point of fact, we do not know who leaked it or why. Chief Justice John Roberts said today that the marshal of the Supreme Court would investigate the leak. But a far more significance is the ruling in itself, which would be hugely consequential and transformative. And the potential willingness to overturn precedent has Democrats today concerned that this conservative court might not respect other rulings as well? If it becomes a law and if what is written is what remains, it goes far beyond the concern of whether or not there is the right to choose. It goes to other basic rights, the right to marry, the right to determine a whole range of things. 
Justice Alito, who wrote the draft, says that what distinguishes Roe from other cases, however, is that, quote, abortion destroys potential life. We should, however, also note that many of these same justices who signed on to this draft suggested during their confirmation hearings that they had nothing but respect for this exact precedent, Roe v. Wade. It is an important precedent of the Supreme Court. By it, I mean Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. Been reaffirmed many times. Casey is precedent on precedent, which itself is an important factor. Senator, as the book explains, um, the Supreme Court of the United States has held in Roe versus Wade that um, a fetus is not a person for purposes of the 14th Amendment. And the book explains that. Do you accept that? That's the law of the land. I accept the law of the land, Senator. Yes. Reassurances such as those were made presumably at least in part to win the votes of Republican senators who support abortion rights, specifically Senators Lisa Murkowski of Alaska and Susan Collins of Maine. Don't you think, just as an academic matter, Neil Gorsuch, for whom you voted, don't you think he's probably going to vote to overturn Roe versus Wade if given the chance? I actually don't. I had a very long discussion with Justice Gorsuch in my office, and he pointed out to me that he is a co-author of a whole book on precedent. That was Senator Collins on Justice Gorsuch. Here she is on Justice Kavanaugh. He noted that Roe had been reaffirmed 19 years later by Planned Parenthood versus Casey and that it was precedent on precedent. He said it should be extremely rare that it be overturned and it should be an example. So you have obviously full confidence. I do. Today, Senator Collins reacted to the news with a brief statement saying in part, quote, if this leaked draft opinion is the final decision and this reporting is accurate, it would be completely inconsistent with what Justice Gorsuch and Justice Kavanaugh said in their hearings and in our meetings in my office, unquote. Senator Murkowski today, too, also suggested that Gorsuch and Kavanaugh perhaps had not been fully honest about their position, saying in a statement, quote, the comment that I made earlier was, if in fact this draft is where the court ends up being, the words that I used is, it has rocked my confidence in the court. And that is because I think there was some representations made with regards to precedent, unquote. For years, it seemed obvious this day would come and, in fact, was being planned by Republicans for decades. Many anti-abortion activists and politicians have been quite clear about this plan. But even President Trump, who more than any other single American, with the possible exception of Senator Mitch McConnell, is responsible for this moment. Well, Trump, when it came down to talking to voters, downplayed what seemed to obviously be in the cards during the 2020 presidential debate. The point is that the president also is opposed to Roe v. Wade. That's on the ballot as well in the court, in the court. And so that's also at stake right now. And so the election is all You don't know it's begun. on the ballot. I, Why is it in the ballot? Because, because Why is you it on the ballot? It's not on the ballot. It's on the ballot in the I court. I don't think so. In the court. Well, There's nothing happening there. Donald, would you And you, you don't know her me? view on Roe v. Wade. You I don't, don't know her know. view. Anyone paying attention had a pretty good idea of her view. So why the lack of full transparency with the American people? Perhaps when it comes to elections, at least, because a CNN poll conducted earlier this year finds, finds that just 30% of the American people want to see the Supreme Court overturn Roe v. Wade. 
69% say they do not. CNN's Paula Reed starts off our coverage today from outside the U.S. Supreme Court with a closer look at what could come next. The leaked draft sparking protests across the country. The people united will never be defeated. And prompting questions. Chief Justice John Roberts. Do you plan to investigate the leak? Seen here leaving his home Tuesday, issued a statement calling the leak an egregious breach. He has directed the marshal of the court to investigate. The court confirms the draft is authentic, but cautioned it does not represent a decision or position of any member on the issues in the case. The nearly 100-page opinion says a majority of justices are prepared to uphold a Mississippi law that would ban abortion after 15 weeks and overturn Roe v. Wade, which established a right to abortion 50 years ago, leaving it to individual states to determine abortion's legality. Justice Samuel Alito authored the draft, stating there is no inherent right to an abortion. Writing, the Constitution makes no reference to abortion and no such right is implicitly protected by any constitutional provision. Alito says Roe was egregiously wrong from the start and that its reasoning was exceptionally weak and the decision has had damaging consequences. The opinion is not expected to be published until late next month and could still change as draft opinions circulate and justices can change their mind. But in the wake of this draft opinion, Democrats are vowing to fight to protect abortion rights. Will go down as an abomination. One of the worst, most damaging decisions in modern history. We could pass a law to protect every woman's right to an abortion, and we should do that. If this turns out to be the opinion of the court and it's issued, it uh, could have a major impact on the outcome of this election. Republicans are condemning the leak itself. Whoever committed this lawless act knew exactly what it could bring about. Whoever did this leak should be prosecuted and should go to jail for a very long time. This has shaken the independence and the ability of the judiciary to function. President Biden has called the draft decision radical and says he hopes the final vote changes in favor of preserving Roe. If the rationale of the decision as released were to be sustained, a whole range of rights are in question. The president there referring to concerns that this decision could serve as a template for curtailing other individual rights like same-sex marriage or access to contraception. But in his draft opinion, Justice Alito tried to address these concerns, suggesting that these other rights, which have been recognized by the court, do not pose the same critical moral question as abortion. Jake. All right, Paula Reed, thank you so much. Let's get to the Biden administration's reaction to this potentially Monumental decision. CNN's Caitlin Collins is traveling with President Biden in Troy, Alabama. And Caitlin, President Biden spoke with reporters about this draft decision as he was boarding Air Force One earlier today. Tell us what he said. Jake, he reminded people that this is not final, but he said that if this is the rationale when this ruling is final, he believes the implications are going to be much broader than just abortion rights. He believes that this is something that could extend to privacy matters when it comes to marriage, when it comes to contraception. And he also says that he believes this is a, quote, radical decision that he believes could shift basically the view of the Supreme Court and of its jurisprudence. It be a great deal that we're going to, after 50 years, decide a woman does not have a right to choose. If this decision holds, it's really quite a radical decision. 
It's a fundamental shift in American jurisprudence. One thing we should note, Jake, is the president was asked about changing the filibuster so then lawmakers on Capitol Hill would not need 60 votes in order to codify Roe versus Wade so it wouldn't matter what the Supreme Court justices ruled. Instead, he said he was not prepared to make judgments on that. And in his written statement, he called on voters to elect more abortion rights supporters to office. And obviously this... Uh leaked decision this draft is is overshadowing president biden's trip to your home state of alabama which was meant to highlight the importance of american-made anti-tank missiles in ukraine's fight with russia tell us more about that yeah, Jake, those javelins, the ones you see behind me that the president was standing next to, those have been critical to Ukraine's defense against Russia. And so the president wanted to come here to this Lockheed Martin facility in Troy, Alabama, which is the final assembly plant for those javelins that have been going into Ukraine. The United States has sent about 5,000 of them, and they've been incredibly effective, according to Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, in helping Ukraine fend off Russian forces. But one big question while the president was here is, of course, he has called on Congress to pass that $33 billion package. They can send more weapons like these anti-tank missiles to Ukraine. Uh, Of course, this is a facility that can make about 2,100 of those per year right now. So far, the United States has sent over 5,000. So there are big questions about ramping up production, replenishing U.S. supplies. I spoke with the CEO of Lockheed Martin, Jim Takelet. He said they're hoping to be able to ramp up to produce about 4,000 a year. But of course, Jake, that is something that would take time and of course also takes money all right we'll have more on that later in the program caitlin collins in troy alabama thank you so much let's take a look at where access to abortion legal abortion already is restricted and what we should expect going forward in a post row america let's bring in cnn's tom foreman who's at the magic wall tom uh what are you learning about what abortion rights will look like on a state-by-state level if this actually becomes the law of the land and roe v wade is undermined all of these red states jake will be certain to ban abortion. The states in yellow likely to ban abortion. That, according to the Guttmacher Institute, a progressive group that follows this sort of thing. The degree of banning it could be outright. It could be 15 weeks, could be six weeks, various degrees wherever you go. But under this plan, the Institute says 58% of the women in this country of likely childbearing ages would then live in a state that has a hostile attitude toward abortion rights. And in any event, the state's protecting abortion rights far fewer in number. Jake? Hmm. So overturning Roe will obviously unleash new legal and legislative fights over just how far anti-abortion lawmakers can reach uh, to target conduct that happens outside their state lines. I mean, some states might want to ban travel outside of their state to get an abortion. What what are you learning about that? Sure, and the appearance of the abortion pill has complicated that for many of these states. So what they're doing, for example, some that was proposed in Missouri, some language there, would in fact go after anybody who tries to help in any way, providing transportation to someone who wants an abortion, giving instructions, providing internet service that allowed them to connect with a website that gave them information on abortions, providing money, insurance coverage, referrals, anything like that. This is clearly aimed at just that, saying to you, even if your sister became pregnant and wanted to talk about a possible abortion, you would not have a right to do that without breaking the law. Furthermore, undermining all of this, and again, we're looking at some proposals that were floated in Missouri, is this idea that they're saying basically any conception is automatically the production of a resident of that state. So much so that one of these proposals in Missouri said, essentially, if you were passing through, you stayed a night in a hotel and conceived a child, 
you could then be prosecuted if you went to your home state and had an abortion later because they would say, hey, that's a resident of Missouri. You had no business doing that. Yeah, we should point out a lot of these laws do not have exceptions uh, for women who have been raped or victims of incest, uh, not to mention the health of the mother or the life of the mother. And Tom, we've already heard Democrats talking about trying to codify Roe v. Wade, make it the law of the land on a national basis. Um, Some Republicans are talking about trying to ban abortion on a national level. Tell us about those federal efforts. They absolutely are. Democrats know they won't really have the muscle to do that right now. But Republicans are focusing very hard. The focus right now is on that six-week limit. And there are people over there with the momentum of knowing that the court is not in their way anymore, think that if they have big wins this fall, maybe they can do that. Jake? All right, Tom Foreman, thanks so much. Coming up next, the governor from one state where the nation's patchwork of abortion laws is already having an impact. Plus, taking stock, President Biden today applauding the work of a U.S. weapons maker helping to arm Ukraine against Russia's invasion. But could that deplete the U.S. inventory? Stay with us. We're back with our politics lead. If Roe v. Wade is overturned in June, some states could become new havens for legal abortion. One of those is New Mexico, which last year repealed a ban on abortion that had stood for more than 50 years. Joining us now is New Mexico's Democratic Governor, Michelle Lujan Grisham. Governor, thanks for joining us. If the Supreme Court rules that Roe v. Wade is unconstitutional, states can go ahead with either enacting new bans or tightening restrictions that are already on the books, or go in the opposite direction. Um, but the ones that that in, that will tighten laws uh, almost certainly include four states that border yours: Texas, Oklahoma, Arizona, and Utah. Is your state, is New Mexico, prepared for an influx of girls and women coming to New Mexico seeking safe and and legal abortions? Well, we've certainly had that uh, situation already, because even if you didn't have an outright uh, overturning of Roe v. Wade, you have states that don't provide the right access, privacy, support to women and their families on all of their health care decisions, primarily abortion care and reproductive rights. So women and their families have been coming to New Mexico for a long time because they restrict access and that's how they deal with their political opinions about women and women's right to reproductive health care. So tough to know whether or not you're prepared. Uh, We are going to stand as a place that protects and supports women wherever you are. Uh, This is a state that is not going to turn women or their families into second-class citizens or work to restrict their constitutional rights. So what would your message be to somebody who hears about Roe v. Wade almost uh, essentially being overturned, which could happen soon, and says, well, then it goes back to the states, and sure, Oklahoma bans it, New Mexico's fine, so people who want to get an abortion can just go to New Mexico, no big deal. What would your response to that be? It is a big deal. They need to fight Because just as many guests on CNN and many other uh, uh, folks who have been commenting all around the globe, it's not just limited, that 50 years of legal precedent stands to be overturned, uh, stripping away not just this constitutional right to an abortion, but any number of additional rights. uh, If you uh, look at the entirety of this decision, Uh, or the potential for this decision uh, when it's no longer draft, as we expect in June. 
But the issue is if states can criminalize your travel, if there's a bounty like in Texas, if there's nothing that you can do if you're the victim of incest or rape, uh, I think about uh, any number of horrific legal scenarios. The best place for me, uh, if I've got an infertility issue, is in another state to have uh, uh, eggs extracted and uh, available. Do they belong to that state? Do they belong to me? What happens? You have states that are going to work to continue to restrict the decision making of a woman about her own body her own health care, and you got more than half the country that has the potential with this leaked draft decision to lose their constitutional rights. And I think it, I think it could be just the beginning. Um, and no amount of preparation prepares you for actually being able to see what this opinion could look like and what it could actually be. Women everywhere and their families men need to fight in every single state to this country to impact its democracy by stripping rights away from 51 percent of its population women. Democratic New Mexico Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham, thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate it. Coming up next, hell on earth. Ukrainians who spent two whole months in the dark, finally free, sharing their unbelievable stories about the Russian bombardment that kept them underground. Stay with us. In our world lead, more than 100 evacuees from Mariupol, Ukraine, arrived in Zaporizhia today. But Ukraine's deputy prime minister says hundreds of others remain trapped in the city. Local officials say the steel plant is still under, quote, constant fire. CNN's Nick Payton Walsh is in Zaporizhia and spoke firsthand with some of the Ukrainians who managed to escape the nonstop bombardment. Five buses only. But within them, the world's hopes of a way to deliver innocent Ukrainians to safety from Russia's onslaught. Just over 100 civilians, the first to leave the basement of the Azovstal steel plant in Mariupol, bringing with them stories of the circle of hell they lived in underground for weeks. This is Olga. After two months in the dark, she struggles in sunlight still. I ask if she can see okay. Bad, she says. I can't see anything in the sun. Age 78, and she keeps saying, completely alone. Her entire life is in these two bags. 48 hours earlier, she was pictured in a Ukrainian military video just walking out of Mariupol, cheerfully across a bridge. Now, via the UN and Red Cross, Talks in Moscow and Kiev and countless Russian checkpoints. She is here. Worried she cannot fend for herself as a wound to her leg isn't healing because of her diabetes. The head torch that was her only source of light still around her neck. Her toilet roll in her pocket. A 
I tell her she is healthy and has many years left under the sun. I ask her if she needs anything. Also coming off the bus is another familiar face, Anna, with six-month-old Sviatoslav. Embraced by a friend. One of many intense reunions here. She was also seen in the same video as Olga leaving Mariupol, the day after Sviatoslav turned six months old. She is a French teacher in happier times. How do you feel now? Uh, now I feel happy and exhausted. <laughs> because two months are uh, in basic. How do you live for two months in a basement with a four-month-old boy? How do you eat? Now I smile because, uh, because I can smile finally. Because all these months I was crying a lot every day. Emotionally it was really very, very difficult. When we didn't have uh, any hot water for him, we just uh, took a candle and uh, we heat uh, the water uh, at the, on the candle. The busy world she's emerged into, now different for her. For me now, uh, the word is um, l'avion, uh, how to say it? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's the most difficult and, and, and the most scary word. Because now, I, when I... Sorry, okay. <laughs> it's emotional, yeah. Now when there are a lot of noise, I have like a reflex to, to hide myself, you know. What are you going to tell him when he's older? I just tell him that he was really very, very brave boy. Very brave. He's very calm. He, he's the best child in the world, I can yeah. say. He's idol. He's sleeping well, so yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's all you can all ask the for. Time. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And also I can say that uh, I don't want uh, for him to to repeat this story or to repeat this story with his child. Yet the terror they bore witness to will fuel a loathing that won't pass quickly. Great relief there, but tinged with a real problem here. It was enormously complex just to get those hundreds of people out, 100 people out. So the possibility of thousands following in their uh, footsteps under this UN Red Cross mechanism looking harder tonight, maybe still possible, but urgently needed, Jake. Nick Peyton Walsh bringing us these incredibly important stories. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Coming up next, sizing up the weapon supply. Just how long can the U.S. keep pumping Ukraine with military equipment without draining the entire U.S. stockpile? Stay with us. And our world lead, President Biden, today putting the spotlight on U.S. efforts to help Ukraine, specifically on the weapons and supplies being sent overseas to assist the Ukrainians in beating off the Russian invasion. But what is that doing to America's own defenses? CNN senior national security correspondent Alex Marquardt has a closer look at the impact on the U.S. stockpile. The stunning success the much smaller Ukrainian military has had against the Russian invaders would not be possible without the billions of dollars worth of U.S. and NATO weapons flooding into Ukraine. Notably, the thousands of easy-to-use, highly portable American javelins and stingers that for more than two months have taken out countless Russian tanks and aircraft. Sometimes we will speak softly and carry a large javelin because we're sending a lot of those in as well. 
So many, in fact, that now the U.S. inventory of stingers and javelins is running dangerously low. The closet is bare. Just to give you one example, uh, the United States military has probably dispensed about one-third of its javelin anti-tank missiles to Ukraine. While the U.S. wants to give Ukraine what it needs, Pentagon war planners must balance that with not letting supplies dip below what the U.S. needs. I think we're at that moment now with javelins and stingers. The recent aid packages have not included any more of these missiles. To me, that indicates that the war planners have raised a flag here and the civilian leadership doesn't want to exhaust these inventories further. The Biden administration has just requested almost five and a half billion dollars from Congress to replenish its stocks. But the Pentagon insists the aid packages for Ukraine have not hurt overall U.S. readiness. We will never go below our minimum requirement for for our, our stockpile. So uh, we will always maintain the capability to uh, to defend this country and, and, su- and su- support our interests. 1,400 stingers, about a quarter of the inventory, experts and lawmakers say, has been committed to Ukraine. The stingers manufacturer, Raytheon, which also makes the javelin, says it no longer has some of the electronics parts, so the stinger needs to be redesigned. We have a very limited stock of material for uh, stinger production. Uh, We've been working with the the DOD for the last couple of weeks. Uh, We're actively trying to... um, resource some of the material. The new phase of fighting in the flat and open eastern Donbass is changing the fight. The U.S. has just committed almost 100 howitzer systems and tens of thousands of artillery shells. But it's the stingers and javelins that have had the greatest impact. And now, according to manufacturers, getting back to pre-Ukraine inventory levels is going to take years. I'm concerned because of the production lines on these Weapons have been uh, marginalized. We weren't consuming them. Now we've suddenly given a lot of them, sold a lot of them away. uh, And we need to get that production started. There is no weapon more synonymous with this war in Ukraine than the javelin. There's even been a Ukrainian song written about it. But they take around three years to be produced. And with so many going out the door to Ukraine, around 5,500 so far, with no end to the war in sight, and Ukraine asking for more, These production lines are really being tested. All right. Fascinating. Alex Marquardt, thank you so much. Coming up next, the parents of Austin Tice, the American journalist kidnapped in Syria almost a full decade ago. The message they delivered to President Biden during a meeting at the White House. Stay with us. In our world lead today is World Press Freedom Day. Family members of Americans detained abroad putting pressure on President Biden. They're planning to demonstrate outside the White House this week, hoping to secure a meeting with President Biden that could lead to their loved ones returning home, they hope. President Biden met yesterday with the parents of Austin Tice. Speaking of World Press Freedom Day, Austin is an American journalist and he's a Marine veteran. He was kidnapped in Syria in August 2012. The White House, in a statement, says the president, quote, reiterated his commitment to work through all available avenues to secure Austin Tice's release. He's now 40 years old. He's been held captive for a quarter of his life. Joining us now live to discuss their meeting with the president are Mark and Deborah Tice. Thanks so much for being here. It's an honor to have you here, Deborah. Uh, Let's start with you. How did the meeting go? Do you think any progress was made in making uh, the release of Austin uh, a higher priority? Well, first of all, I think progress was made just in getting to meet with the president. And, you know, it was we were astonished at how up to date he was 
on Austin's case and how committed he is to getting him home. Well, that's good news. Mark, have your expectations changed at all after speaking directly with President Biden on this? So our expectations, my expectations are always that everyone will do everything they can to get Austin home. But the important thing is that we receive that, you know, uh, that commitment and that support directly from the president. And, you know, to me, that makes the potential for a real sea change, because when the president is behind something, the rest of the system falls in step and, and makes things happen. Let's hope so. Uh, what is the last concrete update you've gotten, Deborah, about, about Austin's whereabouts and his condition? Um, whereabouts and condition, that's not an update that we really get. It's not an update you, you really no. get. I had heard that you'd heard about his, him years ago, but you haven't heard anything since. Is there a way you can... Is there, are there any avenues at all? Do, do you know of anything? No, no, there aren't any. I, you know, obviously there are whispers on the wind and, you know, we still get contacted by people in Syria that, you know, think they might know something. But as far as an actual channel to someone that, you know, we know has that information, doesn't exist. So this is um, a, a request for the U.S. government to engage with the Syrian government, right? That's what you want. The, you want the Biden administration to engage with the Syrian government. Absolutely. Trevor Reed uh, was released uh, from a Russian prison uh, last week in a prisoner swap. Right. Um, and Trevor Reed and his family are very dedicated to trying to help other families in similar situations. Mm-hmm. Do you have any sense why the U.S. was able to secure his release, but, but not Austin's? Well, I mean, the point that the government will make is that Trevor was acknowledged. You know, his father was able to visit him. They had access to him, and so it was It was truly just a matter of what it was going to take to get him out. With Austin, we first have to have acknowledgement of him, and that's one thing the Syrians are still withholding, or, um, you know, they have throughout the years said they would help locate Austin, and so we need that first step. So that's what makes Austin more complicated, the fact that um, their embassy and consulates are closed in the United States. Our embassy is closed in Damascus. Those engagements are challenging because we don't have a channel for them. Right. Did President Biden suggest that he will try to re-engage with the Syrian government to find out more? Yeah, well, you know, President, President Biden said that he supported the efforts that are underway uh, and other efforts that, that, you know, may create positive movement. Uh, and, of course, one of the efforts underway is you know, pushing to get engagement and uh, engagement that's sustained uh, because, it, you know, this is something that will probably take some time to make happen. Uh, but we have to take those first steps. And the president, you know, was indicated he was completely supportive and committed to doing so. So it uh, goes like this. Yeah. Sustained diplomatic engagement for transactional negotiation. That's what we're asking for right there. Yeah. Um, the White House Correspondents Association dinner gets, a, gets a, a lot of criticism, but I do want to take a, a moment to note that you were a guest at the dinner, uh, and there was a moment, uh, a room full of Austin's peers applauding for him, noting him, demanding that he get be freed, uh, honoring him, honoring you two, uh, hoping to shed light on his case. Do you think that helped at all? Absolutely. That, that is why we had a meeting with the president yesterday. Because he was honored at the dinner. Yes. Right. Yes. Right. Uh, I mean, and we, we know that the president was aware of Austin's situation. In fact, back to the days when he was vice president, we actually had a chance to 
meet him at that time. Uh, but having it put right there in front of you, and uh, you know, he he responded in a you know a quick and personal way. Uh, so absolutely, and I, and I have to give a shout out to Stephen Portnoy, Steve Portnoy, the president of the White House President Correspondent of the White House Association, because right. uh, really it were his efforts that uh, created that impetus for us to sit down in the Oval Office. And that was the invitation when the president said, Mom, I want you to come and talk to you and Dad. Bring the dad, too. So that's what happened there. Well, good on Steve, good on the president, and good for you two for being here to continue to shine a light. And uh, we're going to try to help you as much as we can as well. So stay in touch with us, please, on this World Press Freedom Day and in the future. Great to have you here. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you, Jay. Thank you for having us. Uh, coming up, that draft Supreme Court opinion revealing a majority of justices are ready to overturn Roe versus Wade. How some states are standing by with trigger laws that are bound to restrict a resource for women that has been available in the U.S. for almost 50 years. Stay with us. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. This hour, the drought is so bad out west that 6 million Americans are about to face strict new restrictions on how and when they can use water. Plus, Supreme Court stunner, the leaked draft opinion that would overturn Roe v. Wade and transform the United States in legal, political, and medical ways, impacting tens of millions of Americans. We're live in Oklahoma, where state lawmakers just passed an abortion ban modeled after the one in neighboring Texas. And leading this hour, new Russian strikes against Ukraine appearing to target areas related to the movement of military equipment into Ukraine. In the western city of Lviv, only 90 minutes from the Polish border, military officials say power substations associated with the train stations were targeted. Ukrainian officials say two missiles over the city of Vinitsa in the southwest part of the country were shot down. Plus, a cruise missile intended for Kyiv was taken down by Ukrainian air defenses. Today, Ukrainian volunteers and police evacuated scores of people from the small town of Lyman in eastern Ukraine's Donetsk region, even as the Russian military bombarded that town with artillery fire. As CNN's Sam Kiley reports for us now, Ukrainians in the east are all too aware that a Russian bomb could fall on them at any moment, and sometimes that's exactly what happens. Since Russian rockets destroyed her home and killed her brother, all she has left is her mother and her life. All at once, grads started falling one by one. There were explosions everywhere. Opposite the kitchen in a house, the windows and frame blew into a room. We are standing there. My brother was making the sign of the cross, and I'm shouting. I turned away from him to look at the house, and then another rocket hit, and I was trapped under the rubble. I can't see my brother anymore. I fell, and I don't even know how I woke up and started pulling myself out. I'm all scratched and battered. I yelled, Vita, Vita, but he was gone. Ludmilla's home was flattened in Lysyshenks during the battle for Rubizne, which is now in Russian hands. Putin's forces have been driving southeast along the Donetsk River and south from Izium. Russia's stated aim is to capture all of the Donbass, and that includes Luhansk and Donetsk provinces. The governor of Luhansk says that Ukraine can hold the Russians back, for now. 
But he says we need powerful long-range artillery, and that unfortunately is not here yet, and it could completely change the whole war. Without the heavy weapons already promised by the US and other Western allies, he says, the Russians will destroy everything with artillery and mortars. They destroy with aircraft, they use helicopters, they're just wiping everything off the face of the earth, so there's nothing left to hang on to. For Ukraine, this is an existential battle. Reinforcements are being rushed to the front lines, but there's no sign of the heavy weapons needed to block a Russian advance, much less reverse it. The doctor says Ludmilla will be moved west for more treatment, but her fate and that of her 96-year-old mother is unknown. We simply cannot physically handle so many wounded with such severe injuries, he says. This elderly woman, a victim of Russian shelling that morning, joins the ward. And more than 13 million other Ukrainians have fled their homes to escape Ludmilla's fate. I was brought here naked. I have nothing at all. No money, no documents, nothing. Yet her very survival is a small victory over Putin, because she's been neither beggared nor beaten. Now, Jake, uh, on the front line uh, further towards Izium, it's very clear when you get onto a high elevation there, which we did earlier on today, that this is a, a war without front lines in many ways. The front lines are defined not by human beings so much as, uh, as infantry human beings, but by artillery. And it shows really how criti critical it's going to be if those modern artillery systems can be brought in from NATO. They're in a completely different league from what the Russians have and really would make, I think everybody would agree here, a strategic impact. It's really urgent from the Ukrainian perspective. But they are holding the Russians back much more effectively that was, was anticipated. The Russians are advancing, but it is a grinding process, Jake. All right, Sam Kiley reporting live from Kramatorsk. Thank you so much. Joining us now live to discuss Democratic Congressman Gregory Meeks of New York. He's the chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. He just returned from a congressional delegation trip with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi to Ukraine and Poland. Mr. Chairman, this was not your first trip to this war zone, but I am curious what your biggest takeaways are from this trip. The focus of President Zelensky uh, to make sure that we win this war against uh, Putin's uh, aggression uh, and the determination of the people of Ukraine. Uh, that was uh, tremendously uh, important. Uh, and the message of unity uh, that President Zelensky was uh, further uh, you know, talking about and how we've got to continue that unity, especially increasing sanctions. But also, of course, just as your report indicated, getting the weapons that are needed, the long range weapons, particularly uh, given the new terrain of which this war has now moved to getting those to the Ukrainians in a quick and timely fashion. And we visited the 82nd Brigade, who is I mean, the speed of which they are getting things out from uh, Poland into uh, into Ukraine is, you know, I don't know how you could do it any faster, but you got to cross the terrain to get it in their hands. We know that timing and time is of the essence. I want to get your reaction to something uh, from the report you just heard a few moments ago from Sam Kiley, the, the governor of Luhansk province, saying that Ukraine can hold back the Russians if, if they get powerful long-range artillery, which he says still has not arrived. Uh, how concerned are you that 
things aren't moving quickly enough, especially with Congress uh, not yet moving uh, on that supplemental for $33 billion more. Well, I know that we are moving on it as we speak. There's a process. The, pre- the, the president put the request in on Thursday of last week. It is now before the House Appropriations Committee. Uh, they are working on the bill itself. And I fully expect for us to pass that bill sometime early next week uh, when we go back into session. Uh, so it is we are expediting that $33 billion on top of the 13.2 we were already passed. And as we're speaking, uh, we know that there's weapons that are on their way there that has gotten to the appropriate places uh, over uh, in uh, Poland and other areas and are, have left there and on their way uh, to the front lines of where the Ukrainian soldiers are. Earlier today, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, said Russia's invasion of Ukraine threatens to undermine stability throughout the entire world, not just in Europe. He also said it could risk the security of future generations. What specifically does that mean for your constituents? It means a lot, and he's absolutely right. We had that conversation also with President Zelensky. You know, when you think about, number one, let's just look at food. You know, right now, Putin has the Black Sea blockaded, and the way that you get the wheat, the uh, sunflower oil, and other grains out of Ukraine, sunflower, for example, oil is 50% of the world's production comes out of there. It's through the ports. Putin has the ports closed, which will cause hunger in various places across the globe and higher prices and others. So this is indeed uh, what Putin is doing, having effect across the globe, which is why in our conversation with President Zelensky, we agree that what there should not be any import from anyone into Russia, and no one should be receiving any exports from Russia. And let them stay on their own. And that in that unified way, we need to stick together. And that's what we're looking to do. Something else, something else that's going to impact your constituents. Um, I want to ask you about this leaked Supreme Court draft opinion that Political obtained, uh, indicating that a majority of the court is ready to strike down Roe versus Wade. You told CNN last night, uh, you were on Don Lemon's show, I think, that, that this ruling, if it ultimately overturns Roe v. Wade, would be a game changer for women and women's rights. Um, what do you say to people out there who are afraid uh, that this is going to happen? What can Democrats do? You control the House, the Senate, and the White House. Well, I do hope that we could bring a vote back, you know, that we passed in the Senate on a woman's right for reproductive uh, procedures and aid. Uh, hope we have another vote in the Senate. Uh, it was a vote that failed again because we did not have the, uh, the, 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 the votes, the 60 votes that you need uh, in the Senate. But I think that is also an issue that shows that we need people to turn out to vote because that's what's at stake. Because you take away rights. We have a Supreme Court that is going against 80 percent of Americans taking away the rights of women, not given or gaining rights 
but taking away. We've had a Supreme Court previously that's looking to make sure that we're becoming a more perfect union. This is rolling back in the other way to take rights away, hard-fought rights from women. And it's a prelude to what continues, what we've seen already in regards to this Supreme Court and other federal appointees that were done by right-wing conservatives to take rights away, voting rights, civil rights, LGBTQ rights, uh, as opposed to granting and making sure that all of us are treated equitably. Democratic Congressman Gregory Meeks of New York, the chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Thanks for your time today. Good to see you again. Thank you for having me. Coming up next, that Supreme Court stunner has some senators defending their decisions to vote in favor of conservative justices. Those lawmakers respond to the leaked draft opinion. Then a shocking discovery in Shanghai's COVID lockdown. Workers open a body bag at the morgue to discover that an elderly man within it is definitely not dead. Stay with us. In our politics lead, the nation's highest court appears poised to strike down Roe versus Wade, the landmark 1973 ruling that legalized abortion in the United States. That's according to a leaked Supreme Court majority draft opinion obtained by Politico. Even though the decision is not final, uh, its revelation is already sending shockwaves throughout the nation. Here with the reaction from the Supreme Court and from Capitol Hill are CNN legal analyst Joan Biskupic and CNN chief congressional correspondent Manu Raju. Manu, let me start with you because Senator Susan Collins voted to confirm both Justice Kavanaugh and Justice Gorsuch, who are two of the five in this potential ruling. Um, Collins vigorously defended her votes at the time, saying that Kavanaugh and Gorsuch would not vote to overturn Roe versus Wade. Take a listen. Don't you think, just as an academic matter, Neil Gorsuch, for whom you voted, don't you think he's probably going to vote to overturn Roe versus Wade if given the chance? I actually don't. I had a very long discussion with Justice Gorsuch in my office, and he pointed out to me that he is a co-author of a whole book on precedent. So, Manu, what does Senator Collins have to say today? Well, she says those comments were inconsistent with what she was told by Gorsuch and Kavanaugh at the time of those hearings. And now remember how significant Susan Collins' position was when it came to Brett Kavanaugh in 2018. At that time, it was unclear whether or not he would have the votes to get confirmed. But after Collins had spoken with Brett Kavanaugh, after she heard the testimony about allegations of sexual assault against Kavanaugh, which Kavanaugh denied, and after he assured her on the issue of abortion, She came out in support of Kavanaugh and later Joe Manchin supported him as well. And she said today, if the leaked draft opinion is the final decision and this reporting is accurate, it would be completely inconsistent with what Justice Gorsuch and Justice Kavanaugh said in their hearings and in our meetings in my office. And I asked her if she if he misled her in any way, if Kavanaugh did. She did not respond to that, saying she wants to stick to her statement. She did say she wants to move, move on legislation to codify a right to an abortion. But, Jake, there is no path for that being approved in the 50-50 Senate, where 60 votes are needed to overcome a filibuster. And not all Democrats are on board with changing the filibuster rules. 
All right, Manu. Um, and Joan, let me ask you, uh, because this is a completely unprecedented leak uh, of a draft opinion from the Supreme Court of a case about to uh, actually have a, a ruling mm-hmm. that's still before the court. Justice Roberts, the chief justice of the United States, he's very unhappy with this. He released a statement and reads in part, quote, this was a singular and egregious breach of that trust that is an affront to the court and the community of public servants who work here. I have directed the marshal of the court to launch an investigation into the source of the leak to the extent this betrayal of the confidences of the court was intended to undermine the integrity of our operations. It will not succeed. Pretty strong statement. What do you make of it? Extraordinary. Everything in the last 24 hours has been extraordinary. You know, this startling uh, 90-some page opinion that would roll back abortion rights nationwide, the way it was disclosed to the public, and then to have the chief coming out like this. Think of how disruptive this is uh, in the process right now. The draft that we've seen through Politico was dated February 10th. We know that there have been internal developments since then, and we know that the justices likely were not going to hand down this opinion until late June. So, so much more has to unfold. And if the chief justice was trying to make headway with any of his conservative colleagues to pull them back from total reversal of Roe, which I believe he did not want, I, I, I don't think he's on this opinion. I, I think that at this point he would rather have the court uphold the Mississippi law that's in dispute right now that prevents abortion after uh, some 15 weeks of pregnancy, but not this huge earthquake of a change in women's uh, legal rights. And to try to be negotiating with colleagues in this kind of atmosphere, when we already see where Justice Alito wanted to take the court, and at the point he wrote that, he thought he had five justices with him. And I'm pretty sure that Justice Kav- Justices Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett and Neil Gorsuch are still on that opinion. But if there was any chance that any of them would flip over and go a more moderate course, as the chief would want, what does this kind of atmosphere do? Yeah. Now, just one last thing. The chief, as you said, Jake, is going to have an investigation, but he's delegating it to the marshal there. So there's not, I don't see this to be any really full-fledged uh, get, truly get to the bottom of things investigation as you would in any other kind of venue. Uh, and whether we'll see any kind of result of who leaked it is, uh, is quite uncertain at this point. All right, Joan and Manu, thank you, so, thank you so much to both of you. Coming up next, we're on the ground in one state already in the process of passing one of the most restrictive abortion laws in the country. The impact of this potential Supreme Court decision, stay with us. Sticking with our politics lead, as the U.S. Supreme Court is seemingly poised to overturn the landmark 1973 Roe v. Wade case, which granted abortion access nationwide, and send the issue back to the states, Republican-led states are now enacting a flurry of new restrictions on abortion access. CNN's Lucy Kafanov looks at the state of Oklahoma, where the Republican governor and GOP-led legislature just passed a near-total ban on abortion. Some conservative states like Oklahoma are already bracing if the leaked draft opinion becomes the final decision. It signals something um, something devastating for reproductive rights in Oklahoma and across the country. Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt, a Republican, has said he would back any legislation that restricts abortion. Last month, he signed a bill into law that makes performing an abortion illegal in a state, except in medical emergencies. Criminalizes abortion, makes it a felony. Uh, for the doctor, the penalty is up to 10 years in prison and up to a $100,000 fine. The law bans all abortions unless the life of the mother is at stake. There's no exception for rape or incest. 
two wrongs don't make a right. And as horrific as rape and incest are, uh, that innocent child should not lose their life because of that. The Oklahoma legislature also passed a Texas copycat bill called the Oklahoma Heartbeat Act, which would prohibit abortions as early as six weeks before many women even know they're pregnant. The measure does allow for exceptions in medical emergencies. The bill also allows private citizens to file a civil suit against anyone performing an abortion or knowingly, quote, aiding and abetting an abortion, including paying for the procedure. Abortion providers have already filed challenges to both bills to try to block them before they take effect. What is the reality when it comes to abortion rights for women here in Oklahoma? Well, they're already severely restricted. You're not ending abortion for people who live in Oklahoma. You're just forcing them to go to another state. Oklahoma has already felt the effects of the Supreme Court allowing the Texas law to stand. We have very few abortion providers in Oklahoma and Those that do still exist are, of course, right now um, overburdened by folks coming in from Texas. And so we can't meet the need that we currently have in Oklahoma. The number of women coming from Texas to get abortions in Oklahoma rising to more than 220 in each of the two months after the Texas law took effect in September, up from about 40 a month. Abortion rights activists saying ultimately, as more red states pass restrictive laws, women will have fewer and fewer choices. In the past, we've been able to rely on the court as a backstop to block some of the most egregious laws they've proposed. But we know that's not true anymore. And Jake, Republican Governor Kevin Stitt is poised to sign the new restrictions into law at any moment now. And keep in mind, there are just four clinics here in the state of Oklahoma that are offering abortion services. They've been overwhelmed. They've been seeing so many women from out of state, including Texas. If they are forced to cease operations, the impact is going to be felt far beyond Oklahoma. Jake? Lucy Kavanaugh in Oklahoma City for us. Thank you so much. Here to discuss Democratic Congresswoman Barbara Lee of California. Uh, Congresswoman, thanks for joining us. So, Assuming this draft opinion is ultimately the decision reached by the U.S. Supreme Court, what would your reaction be to what would be a monumental decision? Sure, Jake. Uh, First of all, uh, let me just say I'm very angry and I'm trying to contain myself, okay? But I'm also heartbroken because if, if in fact, and and it appears that this draft um, opinion was released, unfortunately, and that it probably more than likely is is the um, the position the court will take. Uh, I'm heartbroken because you know what this is going to mean. It's going to mean that, uh, first of all, I'm angry because this first time a constitutional right has been taken away and it's women that they're taking our constitutional right away from. Secondly, uh, it's <laughs> my right to do what I want to do with my body. It's me. It's nobody else's business. No uh, policymaker, no lawmaker, no judge, no one. It's a personal decision between a person and whomever. Uh, thirdly, we have a generation of people who do not know life without rope. What are these young women and women, middle-aged women, going to do now? Uh, also, we know that women who have money, They'll be able to travel to states, low-income women, black and brown women who are low-income. They're going to be impacted uh, disproportionately, although it's going to affect all women. It's going to affect everyone in this country. And so I am telling you, it's a slippery slope because next time they'll come out, it appears that they, they're beginning now to look at birth control. Where are they going with this? I mean, women have rights. We've got to uh, register to vote. See this as a political defining moment. And believe you me, we've got to understand that 
Elections matter by electing uh, Donald Trump as president. We have a court now that reflects uh, turning back the clock to the days of, of horror that I know so well, the days of black, black alley abortions. And so political action is required right now. And we've got to pass the Women's Health Protection Act, which is in the Senate. So I'm urging and taking this moment to urge everyone to get to their senators and get this pa passed right away. You just alluded to something that you disclosed uh, and spoke about publicly for the first time last year. Uh, you know firsthand what it's like to, to seek an abortion in a world where Roe v. Wade does not exist. Um, uh, if you could tell us more. Jake, you know, uh, I didn't talk about this ever, really. I was a young teenager, uh, 15 years old, and I got pregnant. And my mother uh, gave me all the options. She was so loving with me. And she said, it's your decision. We'll talk about it, but it's nobody else's decision. I have a friend who uh, knows a doctor in a back alley in uh, Mexico, at Juarez. And um, if you want to do this, if we decide this is what you want to do, I'll send you to her uh, and, and she will take care of you. So I decided at 15, that was the only option I had. So I flew to El Paso and she took me to an alley. I could still see the lights shining down. Uh, it was dark. It was about 10 o'clock at night. You know, this was some, it, it was traumatic for me, but this was my decision. And I never talked about it before because, as my mother said, that was my decision, nobody else's um, business, quite frankly. And so what happened, though, last year when Mississippi and when all the Texas cases and when I began to I, I co-chair the pro-choice caucus with Congresswoman Diana DeGette, and we started looking at what was taking place and we saw this coming. And so I said, you know, now's the time, if ever, for women who have especially women who know what back alley abortions are about, because then the the death, black women died of septic abortions more than any other reason in the 60s. And so I was one who survived. And I don't want anyone to go through that. And I see what's taking place. And the reason I talked about it was I'm trying to sound an alarm, uh, not only about uh what this court is doing, but why we have to vote and register, pass the John Lewis Voting Advancement Act, because they're trying to take away all of our rights, all of the rights of yeah. African-Americans, people of color, women, the disabled. So, you know, it's time to get politically active, Jake. President Biden expressed concern today that, that this decision, uh, this getting rid of precedent, if indeed that's what the court does, it, it could mean other rights such as same-sex marriage are at risk. Do you agree? I agree. And that's why I'm saying uh, labor rights, environmental justice, all of the issues that the Supreme Court could just use this as precedent, right, to start just taking away all of our rights. This is very dangerous because we live in a democracy and uh, what's left of it, Jake. And we need to sound the alarm because what they're coming after women today, uh, they're coming after you tomorrow. And so this is a time that everyone has to understand that our, our rights are uh, at, at risk and democracy is at stake. The, the survival of our democracy, the survival of the rights that we've been fighting for over the years, people of color, African-Americans, labor unions, women, the disabled, you name it. The courts are taking away these rights. And if this decision comes down the way this leaked document said and indicated, 
then we need to really see this as a time to step up and organize and know that the president appoints Supreme Court justices. And had Donald Trump not been, uh, if people had not voted for Donald Trump, Trump, we wouldn't be at this place. So we have to take this moment also, Jake, to educate the public about why elections matter and don't allow them to take uh, to elect individuals who are just going to continue to erode our basic fundamental rights and our democracy. Congresswoman Barbara Lee, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Joe. Jake. I'm, I'm sorry I'm so upset about this, but I really am. You don't it's, have to apologize. You don't have to apologize for, for anything. So. Thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. What overturning Roe v. Wade could mean at the polls in November is next. Stay with us. In our politics lead, President Biden weighing in on the draft Supreme Court r- ruling, indicating that the court appears poised to overturn Roe versus Wade. The president calling it, quote, a radical decision that jeopardizes other basic rights, potentially. Take a listen. If the rationale of the decision as released were to be sustained, a whole range of rights are in question. A whole range of rights. And the idea we're letting the states make those decisions, localities make those decisions, would be a fundamental shift in what we've done. It goes far beyond the concern of whether or not there is the right to choose. It goes to other basic rights. So let's talk about this with my panel. And Laura, you work for Politico, but I know you're not going to tell us (laughs) who leaked it. Or maybe you don't even know, but it was a big big, uh, scoop for you guys. Mm -hmm. Today was the first day of Biden's presidency that he even said the word abortion allowed. This has been an issue where... He used to be much more conservative on this issue, mm-hmm. uh, and it's one that he's talked about is difficult. It seems difficult from the outside, at least for him to navigate, because the Democratic Party uh, has a very different position than his Catholic faith. Um, how do you think he's handling it? Well, actually, what's interesting here is that, and you heard the president refer to this, which is that a lot of Biden's philosophy around Roe v. Wade, around how to also message to the public on it, was really crafted by him when Ronald Reagan nominated Robert Bork to the Supreme Court and Biden successfully defeated that nomination. The whole thing about back alley abortions. Right. But it was also because he actually consulted with his sister, Valerie Biden, and a bunch of legal experts. And they talked about how do we make this uh, digestible to the everyday public? Because if we get into constitutional rights and legalese about about abortion rights, then he thought he would lose the public. And so they realized, let's make this an issue about privacy. And Valerie Biden actually said, well, this sounds like the government may go into my bedroom. And then Biden immediately said, let's make it about that. And from there, you heard that also today. He said, this is about privacy. This is about the Ninth Amendment. And he feels as though the court is going to expand beyond just going after abortion, but going after also gay marriage, going after whether or not um, you know, the Griswold case, which was about the ability to use contraception of your yeah. own free will in your private, you know, relationships. So this is something that the White House is telling me, you know, expect to see Biden use the same strategy he used during that 1987 Bork confirmation fight moving forward uh, as they really talk about the ramifications of this case. So polling suggests that most Americans support abortion rights with restrictions. That's, that's what the polling suggests. But in terms of just overtur- overturning Roe v. Wade, according to the latest CNN poll, an overwhelming majority, 69% of Americans, say they do not want the court to overturn versus Wade, Roe v. Wade. 35% say they would be angry if it was overturned. 14% say they'd be happy. 12% satisfied. 25% dissatisfied. And so on. 
Is this actually something that will animate Democrats? I mean, I know that that's the common refrain, oh, this is going to motivate Democrats. Do, do you really think that? I do. I think that this issue could be similar to health care. Um, when health care was passed, there was a backlash um, to President Obama. I think this will be a backlash um, for Republicans. I think the thing that the Biden administration and Democrats are going to have to do this midterm, though, is figure out how to message this. Because... Uh, you don't want if people are concerned about inflation or gas prices or grocery store prices, those are real life issues that are affecting them every single day. So really breaking it down and saying this is an issue that you should care about, but not just this issue, the overall direction of our country. Where do you want us to go? And if they can paint that narrative and really land it, I think that we will it could have a turn in the midterms uh, and not the shellacking as so many people think Democrats are going to get. So Senator Rick Scott, Jonah, he chairs the Senate a Republican uh, campaign committee, was asked by CNN if this would impact the midterms. He said Right now, people are more focused on inflation and crime and the border. What do you think? What will be the political ramification of this, if any? Yeah, I am skeptical that this is going to be a major boon, politically speaking, for Democrats, in part because the voters who are most committed to upholding Roe are already very solidly in the Democratic coalition. We're talking about college-educated, mostly single women. They're, they're the, in some ways, the backbone of the Democratic coalition already. So... Where are the new voters who are going to join the Democratic coalition to actually make a big difference in various midterm races? I'm not sure I see it. Historically, if you talk to political consultants, the basic argument is that cultural issues, particularly abortion, is really good for Democrats for raising money and really good for Republicans for turning out voters. Mm. Because if you look at single-issue voters on the issue of abortion— it breaks in favor of the pro-life cause. This could overturn all of that, all right. of the normal fundraising models, all the normal turnout models. But I am skeptical that you're going to see some sort of tsunami on this so long as inflation is very high, so long as, you know, and it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, you're talking about Biden going to the Griswold privacy arguments. If I were a, a leader of a pro of, of abortion rights group, I'd be a little annoyed by that sort of those sorts of yeah, talking Yeah, what about points. us? Yeah, so like what, right. we're talking, you know, like we can talk about gay marriage later, but like the thing that's under threat explicitly in the decision isn't gay marriage. They're very explicit. This is only about abortion. Why are you already trying to expand it to these other talking points and not actually talking about abortion rights? One thing that I thought about today was all of those evangelical conservatives that have been criticized for being hypocrites by standing by Trump, for standing by Trump, who is let's just say, not exactly the moral exemplar of our lives, they're vindicated today. Oh, yeah. They're vindicated. They wanted Roe v. Wade overturned, and Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell, they delivered it. That's right. That's what, what, what was his uh, big campaign promise, that he would make the Supreme Court uh, the kind of Supreme Court that would overturn He said he had litmus tests. Yeah, he had a litmus <laughs> test. Exactly. He was very, very explicit about it in a way that uh, you never really see Democrats talk about abortion, but that is the way uh, that uh, Donald Trump successfully made this happen. Uh, a huge assist from uh, Mitch McConnell, who, of course, uh, withheld that seat uh, that should have been Merrick Garland. Uh, so this is a, a huge day for Republicans. Interesting that they aren't all sort of celebrating at this point. They want to focus much more on the leak and, you know, suggest that somehow it was a liberal who leaked this, which um, we don't know. We, we have Maybe. no idea. They're completely making this up. Mitch McConnell uh, on the floor of the Senate today just making up the liberal. Oh, and Josh Hawley. And Josh Hawley. I think Ted Cruz as well. The person should Are be you arrested. And making something I, up? Well, well, no, no, no. I'm not surprised they're making something up. I'm just surprised. That they're not this celebrating. Is, yeah, this is a big day. I mean, yeah, well, it, it, I think for sure. 
overshadows what's going to happen and what has already been happening, which is the erosion of Roe v. Wade. A lot of people on the right feel like Lucy with the football when it comes to Roe v. Wade. So I think a lot of them don't want to get out ahead in case this doesn't go the way they think it's going to go. I will say, look, as someone who's spent and got a lot of grief for it, five years beating up on Donald Trump for the, the violence to no- democratic norms and institutional yeah. norms, this leak is outrageous. Whoever, whatever the motive is, it is legitimately outrageous. And when you have abortion rights supporters all over Twitter and elsewhere calling this person a folk hero, calling this person a hero, it is going to trigger and set off a bunch of right-wingers. I I think everybody's hypocritical because the people who are complaining about democratic norms under Donald Trump are now have no problem with this violation of norms. And the people who had no problem with the violation of norms under Trump are now all of a sudden talking about the importance it's of It's absolutely things. a breach and absolutely it, it's impossible to run a Supreme Court if you're going to be having draft opinions leaked. There's no question about that. A hundred percent agree with you. So, so who leaked that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I plead the fifth. I can't talk All right. About Thanks, it. everyone, for being here. I really appreciate it. New restrictions and emergency action up next. The drastic steps being taken to make sure the water can still flow out west. Stay with us. In our national lead, imagine turning on your kitchen faucet to get a glass of water and nothing comes out. That is dangerously close to becoming reality in the western part of the United States due to the ongoing mega drought. Today, the Biden administration announced it was taking unusual emergency steps to boost water levels at the country's second largest reservoir, Lake Powell, on the border of Arizona and Utah. The government will increase the water flow from northern areas and reduce the output to the south. As CNN's Stephanie Elam explains, this comes as additional water use restrictions are about to go into place for six million Americans out west. We all walk through neighborhoods where lawns are so over-irrigated that they're creating a small stream on the street. We just have to eliminate that level of water waste. As the mega drought drags on in the West... First time in our history, a hundred-year history, unprecedented. Mandatory water restrictions are on the horizon for six million people. We can't wait till the middle of the summer because it'll be too late. And I don't want anybody to turn their faucet and not have water. The Metropolitan Water District of Southern California is asking residents to cut their water usage by 35 percent while also mandating that either water limits are put in place or outdoor watering be restricted to one day a week in parts of Los Angeles, Ventura and San Bernardino counties beginning June 1st. The impacted communities don't get their water from the Colorado River Basin, but instead from the State Water Project, which pipes water down from the northern Sierra Nevada mountains and the Sacramento-San Joaquin River Delta. The state has cut the water that comes to us by two-thirds. And that's because of there's no supply. Indeed, there isn't. There's not very much snow here. Marking the end of the wet season, California measured only 4% of the April average for its snowpack, basically a frozen reservoir that accumulates snow over the winter. The May measurement was no snow. As temperatures warm in the spring, that snow melts off, runs downstream, and ends up providing about 30% of the state's water needs. At least that is what should happen. Climate change is accelerating in alarming ways uh, and faster than scientists predicted even 10 or 20 years ago. And that means we have to move very quickly. The drought is more broadly apparent at Lake Mead. 
the nation's largest reservoir, which supplies water to some 40 million people across seven states and Mexico. The water line has dropped so low in the lake that it's exposed a water intake valve in service since 1971. The Southern Nevada Water Authority activating a newer low-lake pumping station to still be able to access water for its customers. Coming online is also a symbol of how serious the situation is on the Colorado River right now. While the cuts are frustrating to some... To kill everything that we've got, it's ridiculous. Officials say it's a matter of health and safety. We need to, right now, conserve every drop, make sure it's only used for basic health services, our livelihood, our indoor usage, and not water our lawn. And another grim indication, Jake, of just how low Lake Mead is getting. Earlier this week, officials say a body in a barrel was discovered at Lake Mead, and they believe that this was probably underwater from either the mid-70s to some point in the 80s, but it went undiscovered because it was under all of that water until now. Jake? Bizarre. Stephanie Elam, thanks so much. Coming up next, an incredible scene amid the COVID crackdown in China. The moment captured on video of a man thought to be dead who, in fact, was not quite dead. Stay with us. Finally, in our health lead, a horrifying mistake, thankfully discovered before it was too late, when workers at a Shanghai morgue unzipped a body bag in the back of a hearse and found an elderly man inside the bag who was still very much alive, and you can see them reacting with disbelief, double-checking to make sure that what they're seeing is actually what they're seeing. The person who shot the video can be heard saying the nursing home where the man lived is, quote, such a mess. Shanghai has been on lockdown for weeks now as China's government tries to control the coronavirus outbreak in their own inimitable style. The district government reports the man is in stable condition now, and four people, including the head of the nursing home, lost their jobs. Our coverage continues now with one Mr. Wolf Blitzer right next door in the Situation Room. I'll see you tomorrow. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.